Welcome to the Longleaf Podcast. As always, this is Andrew Dunn, founder and publisher of Longleaf Politics. This is episode nine, but if you're new here, Longleaf Politics explains what's going on in the world of North Carolina politics in a clear and concise way so you can get ahead. Today we're going to be talking about something that's far from clear and concise, though, redistricting. More specifically, a big federal court ruling this week that's thrown November's congressional elections into question. We'll unpack all that here in a minute. But first, this episode of the Longleaf Podcast is brought to you by Indivious. This North Carolina-born app is dedicated to helping you get outside your bubble and talk reasonably with people who view issues differently than you do. The app is available now on the Apple App Store. That's Indivious, I-N-D-I-V-I-U-S. Now, on to the interview. Senate will come to order. Sergeant Arms will close the doors. Members and will go to their seats. Okay, I'm going to try to explain this as concisely as I can. North Carolina's 13 congressional districts, that's the United States House of Representatives, were drawn in 2016 but immediately challenged as an unconstitutional gerrymander. Now, these lines had just been drawn in 2011, and at that point, the lines were successfully challenged as a gerrymander based on race. But this new challenge we're dealing with now is based on partisan advantage. One of the chief architects of the plan said that these lines were drawn to put as many Republicans in office as possible. Now, this case has been kicking up and down the judicial ladder, but just this week, a panel of judges ruled that, yes, it is an unconstitutional gerrymander, but has not yet decided how to fix things. They did, however, raise the possibility that new districts could be drawn before the next election, which, mind you, is scheduled for this November. To help explain all this, we have an unparalleled team of experts here. We have Professor Michael Bitzer political scientist and historian at Catawba College, and also a bowtie aficionado. Welcome, Professor. (laughs) Great to be with you. And returning to the podcast, we have Lawrence Shaheen, a Republican political consultant who has worked with candidates using these very congressional districts. Larry, welcome back to you. Always a pleasure. So, Professor Bitzer, God bless you. Uh, You read all (laughs) 300-plus pages of the court's decision here. Now, we know that they found the congressional lines unconstitutional, but what exactly is your sense of what the court is trying to achieve here? I think what we're doing is entering very much uncharted territory because the tradition of the courts involving themselves in partisan gerrymandering has been very limited. Uh, it, It has started with the founding of the Republic and certainly the original districts that were drawn to favor one party over another, the courts determined for a very long time that this was a political question, that politics was too heavily involved and that it should be left up to the political branches of government to deal with. And it wasn't until 2004 with a case coming out of Pennsylvania that we really got a sense that the court, the Supreme Court of the United States, wanted to kind of look into this idea of partisan gerrymandering, but they were badly split. And Anthony Kennedy, who was the swing vote on that decision, kind of gave a lifeline to a lot of folks to say, if you come with an idea of how I can judge and how courts can have a standard to evaluate what a partisan gerrymandering is, I'll entertain it. And so I think what this case really does 
besides setting aside the issue of standing, which was kicked back by the U.S. Supreme Court, and this was the issue that they at first dealt with, really the reasoning behind how one can perceive partisan gerrymandering and what are some of the constitutional ailments to partisan gerrymandering. Now, Larry, Republicans drew these lines that are under consideration, and it stands to reason that they could have their chances damaged here. How are electeds and candidates taking it? Is this a bombshell or is this was this somewhat expected or, or what's the tenor out there? Well, this is this is an absolute bombshell. And there's been some bandying about the Judge Wynn's decision made when it was with Justice Kavanaugh still waiting to be confirmed and a 4-4 split on the court. There's people who think the Judge Wynn took a, a political calculated decision in issuing the ruling when he did because the likelihood of it standing is far greater now than it would be when Justice Kavanaugh is confirmed. And I think that the President Pro Tem of the Senate and the Speaker of the House in North Carolina were right. This is, this is absolutely unprecedented. It introduces a far amount of electoral chaos. And, I mean, we're talking about possibilities. I mean, this is in the opinion. Possibilities of having a primary in November and a special election dictated by the court in January? I think a lot of Democrats are very, you know, loudly saying, oh, well, we like this. But very quietly, there's a lot of them saying, no, 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 no. This is not what we wanted. This isn't at all what we need, because there's a lot of other elections tied into the congressionals this year. And if they cancel the the general on November 6th, that's going to affect a lot of different races, including the North Carolina Supreme Court and the state legislature. So I don't think there's anyone who's really in favor of this except for the hard, hard partisans on the left, because this just, this introduces a new level of judicial activism that is uh, the only closest similar ruling that I can remember. And Professor Bitzer, you're going to have to make sure I'm right on this. I believe was in 2003 when they mandated a primary in September and a general in November. But that ruling was made, correct me if I'm wrong, Dr. Bitzer, was in spring of the year of the election, not in late August, early September. So this is, again, the word unprecedented doesn't quite do it justice. This is this is chaos. Um, and it's coming from Judge Wynn, who has been very dedicated in his belief that he has the right to set the election schedule for the state. And, you know, I hope that at least one liberal judge on the uh, the liberal wing of the Supreme Court will understand that no matter which side of the aisle this that, 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 that wants this, this can't happen. This, this, is, this is dangerous for our democracy. Professor Bitzer, anything to add there? Is, is this, uh, is this, could this be a danger to democracy? I know that that's a, that's a strong statement, but I'll, I'll let you uh, make of that what you will. Well, I, I think certainly Larry hit it on the head, and, and I've used this term uh, in several interviews over the past uh, 24, 36 hours. It's chaos. Uh, when you have an election that is this close, to where we are in the calendar and the unknowingness, the uncertainty, uh, the confusion that surrounds such a monumental decision. Uh, I, I would have to believe, like Larry, that even on a badly split U.S. Supreme Court for conservatives, for liberals, 
that maybe one of the liberals, perhaps somebody like Justice uh, Stephen Breyer, would side with the conservatives to say it is just too soon. It is too close to the election. Let's get through this election, debate the merits, argue the the principles behind it, but let the election move forward. And that is certainly something that the court can do as the Supreme Court. The question is, will they do that? And will one justice, uh, maybe others, join together to, to put a stay on the implementation of this ruling? I think certainly, you know, Larry, you know, our, you know, presented the, the the chaos theory, and I and I would agree with him. We are wandering around in the political pines with no direction, no sense of where things are going until Friday at six o'clock or, or five o'clock, I think, uh, for the decision for the uh, plaintiffs and and the defendants to uh, provide to the court a, a reason why. Now, to say that. Uh, that uh, having general elections after November uh, is is something that is dangerous to democracy. I would just remind listeners that the state of Louisiana uses uh, the general November time period, election period, to do their primary. And if one candidate doesn't get 50 percent of the vote, they have a subsequent general election between the top two. But for here in North Carolina, this is unprecedented. This is something that, you know, not a lot of people uh, would envision happening. And can you envision that everybody else in the country, all other 49 states, do their elections for the U.S. House? But if it's bitterly divided, then North Carolina votes a month and a half later. What kind of nuclear Armageddon? Is this state going to experience with money, campaign operatives, everything else coming into this state? It is going to be unprecedented. So I think, you know, the issue of consistency uh, for the voters, for the candidates, uh, for the election officials, you know, it, it, it is something to to take into consideration and to really be mindful while we're operating under what the court has perceived as unconstitutional maps, where is the uh, viability of having chaos further thrown into the mix? I don't know, and, I, and I'm not sure a lot of people do know. Well, and, and, that, and, and Dr. Bitzer brings up an absolutely fabulous point about Louisiana. Louisiana does a jungle primary system, and then the top two move on to a general election. That's in, I believe it's December. Is that correct? I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. But that system has been properly vetted, properly evaluated, and voted on by the representatives of Louisiana's. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if they Mm -hmm. have a general assembly or I think it's a, I'm actually not entirely sure what the the legislature. That was voted on by people elected by the people. Politely with Judge Wynn and Judge Osteen issuing a, I think it was, was it, it was Wynn and Osteen who all, all actually was all three judges who agreed with the remedy no one elected them. Nobody said, we're good with you making these decisions. These folks were appointed. And I'm not entirely comfortable with, regardless of what anybody says, Republicans took the majorities in 2010 in maps that were drawn by Democrats. 
The Democrats this year say they have the uh, opportunity if if the rhetoric is to be believed. And I, I tend to believe that because I don't t- I don't say things that I don't think are true. If the Democrats are, are, are realistic in saying we can take the House in North Carolina, we can take the Senate in North Carolina, we can take at least two, if not three congressional seats, then how gerrymandered are these? Because the argument has to be, well, these are so bad that no one can win in them. Well, clearly, either either the judges have it right and the entire establishment of Washington and Raleigh is wrong, or maybe these judges are just a little bit out of touch and aren't really looking at the situation from a standpoint of letting the electorate determine and allowing the, the result to play out. And being able to say, well, see, look, we took the maps even after they were drawn by Republicans. So clearly the, the, the truth and validity of our statements that the electorate is upset with the policy decisions of the Republicans will hold more water if they are elected in districts drawn by Republicans. However, if the, 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 three, court, the three judge decision is upheld and the court rules on a four to four decision and we go through all this, then the Democrats will have no other argument than to say, well, we couldn't win in any maps that were drawn. So we are always going to have to have the judges step in and draw maps that we think are fair. That's not a good argument for the electorate because at the end of the day, these are all going to be low turnout elections and there is going to be a significant amount of anger on the Republican side that would not have been there beforehand if the judges had not made this ruling. So I'm not entirely sure that this ruling benefits the Democrats to the way they think it will. And I'm not entirely sure that there are not candidates all over the state saying, please, 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 liberals on the Supreme Court, help us issue a stay. Well, that brings up a point that I wanted to get your your take on, Professor Bitzer. Now, you know, Democrats, you know, a lot of the statements I'm seeing from Democrats applaud the ruling. And of course, you know, Democrats have been complaining for uh, a long period of time that the the lines are unfair. Um, But could this come back to bite them? I mean, there's a definite different calculus that goes into running a campaign uh, in November versus one in January. And Republicans tend to do better uh, turnout wise in special elections. I mean, what's your your take on whether delaying elections uh, would help or hurt Democrats in general? I think certainly the environment that we are experiencing at this point is conducive to the Democrats. And I would remind folks from a political scientist point of view, I'm not trying to be partisan. I'm not trying to be an advocate for Democrats or Republicans. Uh, certainly Larry can do, 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 do the work <laughs> on behalf of Republicans. But I would just say from, a, from an outsider's point of view who studies these kinds of things, uh, the first midterm is always a bad midterm for the president's party. And, you know, the environment that we are seeing right now leads me to believe that, yes, Democrats will be able to do well in this year's coming elections. But we don't know how well, simply because, you know, every state is different. Every dynamic is different. Every race is different. That being said, the president's party is always going to generally lose seats in the U.S. House of Representatives in the midterm elections. That is a given political, studied, historical fact. The president's party loses seats. So Democrats were seeing this as a potential advantage. What they were also seeing were candidates for a good fit within the district. I'm thinking of somebody like a Dan McCready 
or uh, Kathy Manning in the 13th. And now that's all up in the air. You know, what district is Dan McCready going to run in? What does it look like? Is he a good fit for it? I think certainly Democrats would be seeing, you know, uh, uh, the the opportunity uh, with this decision being handed down as just as much of a consternation as Republicans do as well. So I think the political dynamics is certainly everything has been tossed up into the air. We don't know anything right now as we are taping this podcast to say with some definity, is it going to help somebody or is it going to help the other side? I I just think the, the politics of it certainly lends a lot more chaos to what we are experiencing as well. All right. One more question uh, for both of you uh, before we wrap this up. Now, this is already a blue moon election. There's no president on the ticket, no governor, no U.S. senator to vote on. Right now, the top of the ticket is those congressional races. If they're delayed, what impact would you expect this to have down the ballot? And Larry, I'll let you go first. Turnout was expected to be anywhere between 28 and 34 percent. I think you could see that cut as, as by as much as a half possibly by two thirds. I just, I cannot imagine that you are going to see uh, the same level of turnout in November that you would see if the congressional uh, money that was going to come into to North Carolina for the generals uh, isn't there. Yeah, I, I think certainly turnout will be lower. Uh, you know, I, I, I would expect it anywhere mid thirties to maybe 40%, uh, just dependent again on the energy level. Republicans, registered Republican voters do have higher turnout rates in midterms. But if you go back to a Democratic wave year of 2006, both parties in terms of their registered voters had an equal turnout rate of 40 percent between uh, Democrats and 40 percent of Republicans showing up in that Democratic wave year. When it was 2010 in that uh, midterm election, turnout among registered Republicans was 50 percent. So you saw the wave bounce back and forth between the two political parties. I, you know, the question in my mind is if if we have a congressional primary election? Do we have a general election for the state legislature, the state Supreme Court, others, you know, uh, uh, races that are on the ballot, even down to the local level, and then just a general election for the congressional races uh, subsequently? It's 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 like drawing a card out of a uh, out of a deck of cards and you don't know which card you get. Well, that's that's where we are right now. Oh, boy. Uh, Well, I I lied. I do have one more question. How long is it going to be until we actually get some certainty here on what's going to (laughs) happen? You got a crystal ball? Because mine is cracked. Um, Yeah, at this point, there's very little certainty on anything. But I can say at the end of the day, we're just going to repeat the same statement. The opinion by Judge Wynn is unprecedented in many ways, in point of which his absolute certainty, no matter what the defendants in this case will say he will side with the plaintiffs. And I think at that point you can say that his, 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 his opinion is, 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 has been and will continue to be biased. I, I would just say that, you know, certainly uh, Judge Wynn, along with his two other colleagues on this three-judge panel, laid out a number of, you know, different scenarios, you know, whether it was designed to scare people, to scare both sides, to give a sense of where this could eventually end up. I I can't read his mind. 
but it is certainly something that when a lot of us were reading this opinion and got to the remedy section, there were some eyebrows raised and jaws dropped. Well, when we do get a final decision, we'll explain and unpack that. Uh, But in the meantime, we've been talking with Professor Michael Bitzer, political scientist and historian at Catawba College, and Lawrence Shaheen, Republican political consultant. Thank you both for your time today. My pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Longleaf Podcast. We hope you learned something. Please let us know what you think of the podcast and Longleaf Politics in general. Send us a note, andrew at longleafpolitics.com. We'll see you again soon. So many in favor of that motion will say aye. Those opposed, no. The ayes have it. The Senate stands adjourned.